Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and man, this month, the month of May, the semester's drawing near to the end. We have got an incredible guest for everybody today. Just super excited. Uh, we're going to get to him in a second, but first, foremost, Joe Krosick, our co-host, is in the house. What's up, Joe? What's going on, Coach? How's it going? Good, man. Uh, you ready for the summertime, Coach? I am. I'm ready. What you got planned this summer? Oh, let's see. A whole lot of nothing right now, which is not a bad thing. Uh, looking to take a little vacation and a little downtime. Yeah, a little downtime. Um, spent a lot of time with with the kiddo, so I like I'm it. excited for that. Good, good stuff. I don't have anything planned either, Joe. Hopefully, a little rest, <laughs> a little R and R. Hopefully, for the strength coach's staff. So we'll see. But uh, but with that, uh, let's introduce our guest and just welcome him to the show. Uh, Coach Zach Dakin is here from TCU. Coach, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, we are just Coach. We. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. I think you've been one of the most anticipated guests. So thank you for making time. He just got into town, correct? Was it last night? Yeah, we uh, were here for a baseball trip. And uh, I was, you know, supposed to be on in January with you guys. And, right. And uh, ended up missing the the uh, conference because I got COVID. Right, right. And so uh, it's good to be here. Good stuff. Well, Coach, uh, before we get into it, just a little fun question here. Um, you're married, got an eight-month-old, Noah. Yep. So you and your beautiful wife, Coach, what's it like as a, uh, you just got promoted too, so a lot of changes here, Assistant Athletics Director over Human Performance, TCU, congrats, big time promotion, well-deserved. What's it like doing that, and now you got this eight-month coach? Give us a little insight. How's uh, it going? It's uh, managing time is <laughs> is really the priority now. When I was younger and I didn't have a wife and a son, you know, you could you could spend twelve hours in the office. You could work on all your systems and and just right. lose time, lose track of time. And now, what I've realized in the last eight months is how uber efficient I have to be with every minute of right. my time because anything that I'm wasting in the office, just sitting there or you know whatever I'm doing, I sit there and think I could be spending this minute with my son at home. So, being very very efficient with time has been the biggest change. Yeah, and I know Joe, you can speak to this too. That's that's good. You know, I mean, I've got four girls are all older now, but I remember those early years. Have a tough day where you come home, Joe, right? Oh, yeah. That little kiddo, man, he'll just, yeah. all the clouds just seem to kind of go away, don't they? Yeah. And it's, so I, I have a four month old right now. And so it's like, you know, if you don't, if you're not thinking about, you know, when you're working at the office, you're like, okay, I could, I could be home right now. The, the wife is always ready to send that friendly little reminder text, like, hey, uh, <laughs> where you at? What time, what time are you coming home today, honey? <laughs> Oh, Which really yeah. means is like you should probably come home now. <laughs> right, right. I, I've been through those but, before. Yeah, but um, it's good though. It's it's good to get home and spend time with them. And and I'll be honest, I'm I'm older now, and mm -hmm. I think that has played a huge benefit into my understanding of prioritizing time because mm -hmm. uh, it's just I realize it's it's not um, endless, right? <laughs> There's a finite amount. Yeah. And so, uh, that has really, really helped me because if I had a kid when I was, you know, my early twenties and just starting my career, I, I think I would probably handle, be handling it very differently. Yeah. And so I'm very thankful that, um, I've had him when I did have him. 
That's so that's so awesome. Congrats, Coach. And uh, one more fun question, Joe, before we get into the the notes here. But TCU Horn Frogs, nothing but respect for you guys. Love you and your staff. And of course, our AD Chris Del Conte, CDC. Everybody knows him as CDC. Here doing a fabulous job at Texas. What's your kind of funniest, coolest story? I know you uh, work for him there and, and know him. Yeah. CDC story. Give us one quick story. Yeah. And we'll get into the show. We go back uh, all the way to probably <laughs> 2010. Um, so this was probably 10 years ago now. Uh, we had a uh, we had an athletics department fun day or something. I don't remember what exactly they called it, but they did relay races and everybody teamed up and you did just a bunch of random stuff in May, May Day. Um, and so CDC and I got matched up in a pie eating contest. Hands had to be tied behind your back. Oh. You had a uh, cream pie <laughs> stuck in front of you. And it was it was just who could finish the pie first. And so uh, I finished the pie first. I, I I I had to I had to put down the hammer and I I had to whoop him. <laughs> but uh, you want to talk about yes. a belly that hurts like you wouldn't believe eating a full whatever whatever oh, type of sitting. You, yeah. oh my gosh the the <laughs> my stomach hurt with all that sugar in it my stomach hurt for like 6 hours after that yeah. it was brutal so it was, it was like a legit pie though it like, was a legit right. pie they bought yeah. from you know from tom thumb or wow. heb or wherever That's it was two bucks, coach. and you had to finish the entire pie and no hand so yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it, it was brutal. Did CDC talk a little noise? He t- he had to talk a little noise. I think noise. we were talking a little trash to yeah, start. Yeah, yeah, I could see I, that. I, I, I think so. A little, little friendly banter. Yeah, I, I had to turn it up a notch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, that's hilarious. We'll have to I'll have to bring it up to him at some point, just, just poke at him. But I'm glad you won, because yeah. that's right. Strength coaches, we got to work Right, well, we had to represent, right? That's right. So anyway, thanks for sharing that. Joe, with that, let's get into these. These questions today, see what's going on. Yeah, well, Zach, I'm, I'm glad we're finally able to get you on. Like you said, we, we were uh, we were missing you in January, not only from podcasts, but uh, the little clinic we have. So uh, we're, we're glad you're finally here. But let's just start by diving into your background. You know, like where did all this begin, and and you know, how did you get to where you are now? Yeah, so I actually. Uh I grew up in a small town, 300 people. We didn't have a weight room. My dad always told me, he said, if you want to be a, if you want to be a great athlete, weights are going to come into it. And so when I was in eighth or ninth grade, I worked on a farm, uh, you know, made, made summer money. And so I bought my own rack and started reading muscle media magazines and whatever flex magazine, whatever thing you could pick up. Yeah. That had anything with lifting in it and just started learning. And that's really where it started. I got to college and I had no clue what I wanted to do. And again, my dad came came into the picture and he said, um, you love lifting weights. Why don't you just teach people how to lift weights? Be, be on that side of things. And I was like, that's genius. And that's where it all took off. I, I was a sophomore in college at that time trying to figure out what degree plan I was going to go into. And the instant he told me that, I wanted to become a strength and conditioning coach. That's crazy. So that was your dad. Yeah. And my dad was not really an athlete in high school. Col- I mean, he he didn't go to college. Um, he he didn't have an athletic background whatsoever, but just observation. He saw yeah. that I loved it. I spent I spent time in our basement every night, lifting weights after practices when I was in high school. I you know read up on nutrition and would <laughs> make the craziest metric shakes and all this stuff yeah, back yeah. then. And um, so it was just him observing what I loved and. And bring it to the forefront. That's that's interesting. I think the cool thing about that story I love is that it's it, and I've had these moments in my own career path as well. Like it just comes down sometimes to somebody, whether it's a mentor or a, a father figure like that, like a, a family or a friend that sees something in you 
and they just say one thing, and it's all of a sudden it, it, it just clicks, and it puts you on this trajectory for your career path. So anyway, that's super yeah. cool, and that's kind of how it happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And, and so from there, you know, just to give a quick background, I uh, I played football at Missouri State. Everything I had studied, because Louis Simmons, you know, Louis Simmons is is one of the greatest to ever do it, right? Right. And so we have to acknowledge him because he means a ton to the strength and conditioning world. I read everything I could get my hands on because he was really one of the only people that put content out way back then when the internet was first coming about, really. And so I got to Missouri State and my strength coach there loved the West Side system. He knew Louis. He he trained in that system. I was very familiar with it. So I, I signed to play football there with them. Uh, from there, I went uh, by way of uh, strength coach to the Anaheim Angels for a couple years and then made my way to TCU as a baseball and football guy. It was a perfect scenario because baseball wanted somebody that had been had been in pro baseball. Football wanted somebody that knew collegiate football. I'd played I'd played college football, spent years with the Angels, and so I was I was the uh, perfect fit for that situation. Yeah, kind of cool point here, Joe, real quick on this, and we'll let you move forward, but... Yeah. So obviously Louis Simmons recently passed away. So rest in power, Louis. We appreciate everything he's done, and will continue to do for a lot of us. So me, me growing up, a little opposite of you, uh, I started at Colorado under Doc Crease, which again he is another uh, legend that just passed away. So we've lost some great minds and, and people here recently in the strength conditioning world. And Doc was my mentor and trained me in college when I was at Georgia at, from Middle Tennessee State. But so. My my kind of view of Louie, so Fred Hatfield, who is yeah. gone, he would come to Colorado and train and do these clinics. And I don't know if you people listening to this know, but like Fred and Louie kind of butted heads. There was, you know, basically who was the best. Right. You know, it was always the battle of the egos. And so I always had a different view of Louie before I actually met Louie. Mm-hmm. And then it was kind of as my career developed and I kind of learned more about Louie and his systems. One of my best friends, Jesse Ackerman, who has been in the pros for a while, NFL, like he trained under Louie and learned from him as well over the years. I learned a different respect for that system and understood it better. But anyway, it's just funny how we all raised and these these giants, these legends influence us to some degree. So Yeah, I mean, every one of us honestly owe something to the legends that came before us because we all take pieces of their programming, right? Right. Whether it's the terminology or whether you're actually still doing some of the system that they that they implemented. Yeah, the principles, yeah. Yeah, we, we all use, there's nothing new in this field. So we do owe a lot to them. That's good, yeah. Yeah, my, my biggest question is how how did you end up in Anaheim? And you know, right now you're most well known as a, as a baseball guy. You know, so kind of being coming out through football. You know, how how did you really just become this baseball guy? Yeah, that's I never ever expected to be that whatsoever. I at the time uh, my mentor Rick Perry at, at Missouri State was taking a job at Notre Dame uh, under the Charlie Weiss staff, and I had been accepted. You know, into the internship or whatever, it's a paid internship, but to be an intern for the Anaheim Angels. And so I just, it was a change and I needed to move, I guess. And, and so I took that job and I never wanted to be a baseball guy, so to speak. I I always thought for some, you know, eventually I will be a football guy down the road. Right. But what I did was I brought, um, football and track and field and all of our training principles that, that football quote unquote strength coaches would utilize with their athletes to baseball. And nobody was doing that baseball, you know, in 2006 and 2007, when I was with the angels, 
the training was so antiquated. We had 15 hammer strength machines or something in the weight room in a line, and your workout was one set of 12 to 15 reps on every machine through it I've and you were done. That, yeah. and, and I was like, what are we doing here? This is the most ridiculous thing. The cream just rises to the top is essentially what they were expecting, right? We'll get some great draft picks somewhere. Eventually they'll right. rise to the top, but we're not worried about developing anybody. And I thought that was the most asinine way to look at the minor league system. You know, it, it's just crazy that we're not developing these athletes. You pay them this much money and we don't really truly develop any physical qualities whatsoever. And so when I came to TCU, I... I implemented those, you know, those out of the box at the time um, methods with with baseball, S- speed training and jumping and and um, and lifting heavy and getting strong and those were really considered out of the out of the box and and so that's how it all started and I, I just I started talking about what we were doing with baseball athletes and it really just blew up. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. If you, I'd say, if you even just watch pro baseball now. And you watch it from maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, even if you don't really know much about strength and conditioning or, or baseball in general, I mean, you could just look at their bodies and kind of see how everything's kind of changed over time. And you know, they they just look a lot different. You know, they look way more athletic. Some of them look a lot leaner, but they're still cranking balls. Yeah. And uh, no, I think it's been it's been awesome for baseball. Yeah, the game has changed a ton at the pro level. So you can't say that that's really what professional baseball is anymore, as far as development goes, because they're they're hiring the best, the brightest, and they're implementing some really impressive systems right now. So it's changed a ton in the last, you know, since I was in it 15 years ago. Right. And now, I mean, looking at your career, you, you know, you've got your own kind of like private business going on. Uh, you got baseball summit and everything. I mean, what's what's been the driving force, you know, behind working both collegiate and, and privately? And, you know, how do you how do you manage the time? Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> the uh, and the kiddo and the kiddo, <laughs> right? Yeah. The the in season, if you want the truth, right now during uh, the in season period for me is the best time of the year. So I really have to do a lot of the work during that time when I'm, whether it's writing articles or writing a writing a new book or a new product. Um, it's the in season that I do that because just like yesterday, we had a four hour bus ride here. Traffic was terrible. So I was sitting on a bus for four hours. I'm going to go back to the hotel after we're done here and I'll have three hours of downtime. Um, so I use that when I'm on the road to do a lot of those, a lot of those tasks that, um, yeah, that, that are going to be out on the, on the internet somewhere that we're going to try to sell possibly. Um, and so, uh, as far as the uh, private business, I run camps in the summertime. I run camps for uh, high school and junior high kids. Um, and a- again, it's, it's, I have to schedule that um, around, around everything that I do at TCU. So usually that's very early mornings. We get the baseball kids in early and they'll train in our camps uh, super early, have practices in the afternoons. That, that'll be Monday through Thursday. And then they'll go on the road and play in select games and things like that. And we get them back in Monday through Thursday early in the morning because the summer hours for us at TCU, all of my baseball stuff happens in the afternoon. So yeah, it's, it's, it's being very, very efficient with, uh, with your time. Yeah, and I hear you a little bit, two buckets I hear, Coach, is working in your business and like working on your business. Exactly. And like it sounds like it's a little bit more, depending on what season you're on, can you shift that? focus and on that that spectrum so that's good yeah yeah that's exactly what it is and and here's the other thing so many young strength coaches have to work so much have to put so much time in the system that they they don't get to work on the system right and so you're on the floor coaching for eight or ten hours 
how many how many hours do you actually get to develop better programs? Do you get to learn how to implement a, a better return to play protocol for your athletes and things like that? So there's really that's something I think strength coaches really need to work on is better time management. But us as directors really have to develop a way for our coaches to be able to work in the system and on the system at the same time so that we're not burning them out just coaching athletes, you know, for 40 hours a week. And to your point, I mean, this is my, I've been doing this a while too, coach. This is my 27th year. And the older I've gotten, the more, kind of, to your point, I'm going to piggyback for a second, is the thing that helps me stay kind of like a fresh and excited is like, I got to work on me still. And I think, you know, what happens is strength coaches, we have a tendency to, to always serve other people, but we really don't take good care of ourselves. Yeah. Whether that's self-care or knowledge or learning something new or doing something different, we're always giving out, right? But we're never like taking in. It's like, what's that, that, that metaphor, the, the, um, the Dead Sea? Yeah. It's dead because it never gives out and it never receives, right? So it's always just stagnant water. And so I think, you know, that's a kind of a good metaphor for us. As we give out, like a cup, we need to pour, have something coming back in so we can stay fresh and not get burned out. So that's kind of the way I see it a little bit. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, and we, we just got out of experiencing almost the opposite end of that spectrum where, you know, COVID hit. A lot of downtime, a lot of folks were kind of running like little online seminars and stuff. So we had all this me time during COVID yeah. and no athletes to apply it to. So it's almost like a complete 180 for a little bit. Right. Yeah. And then we're, you know, coach, we talked about it when volleyball started, I think in July, like we were just dying to get back in the way room, get on the wait. floor because yeah. we, we couldn't apply anything, you know? And so yeah. it's just so good that, like, you know, maybe, maybe that's where a lot of our lessons were learned, just reflecting during that COVID era, just saying, hey, like we, there's so much we could still learn, but now we need to, how can we balance it post COVID? So yeah, it's good. I thought that was interesting. Um, got a good topic for you here. I'd love to hear your thoughts here, coach. Um, overhead athletes, definitely. I mean, I've worked with overhead athletes. Obviously you work with some elite level overhead athletes in baseball and you know, if you mess that shoulder up or I'll, I'll say this, let me say, let me back up. If the shoulder gets hurt, it had to be something in the weight room. Because it wouldn't have been nothing on the field that right. caused that. So question for you, Coach Zach, is talk us through a little bit of your lens of how you evaluate a shoulder. What do you see, depending on pathologies, imbalances, and then what do you do to either strengthen it, correct it, fix it, keep it healthy for the long term? Talk yeah. us through some of that. Sure. So I've tried every everything that you can think of imaginable as far as screening for the shoulder, the scapula. Uh, we've tried everything over the last 15 years, right? And the things that have really stuck have been total motion for us on the table, looking at total motion, internal and external rotation with a goniometer. Um, we're always, if you want the truth, one of the best screening tools that you can do is just ask your athletes, have you had pain here? Have you had previous injuries here? Because previous injury is the number one. Yeah, predictor. It's, it's the number one predictor of, of an injury. Right, so right? true. And so... Just talking to your athletes, but the things that have stuck, like I said, is total total uh, motion. We've looked at, you know, raising the arms overhead in flexion, um, out to the side in abduction, and looked at the scaps and see how they they roll up on the uh, on the rib cage and see where they end up and things like that. And a lot of that stuff, if you want the truth, I just haven't found a high correlation with injuries with any problems, and so. 
we use a we use a goniometer the most, and we do some some dynamometer tests. And we'll, I can actually talk about something that we're looking at, um, bringing into the uh, program. I shouldn't say looking at. I, I ordered it. It's it's coming. Um, it's it's armhealth.com. They have a uh, basically it's a it's a dynamometer that is is self. Uh, the players can do it themselves. It ties into an app. And yeah, there's okay. a lot of strong research behind some of the some of the things that they found. So go out there and look at armhealth.com. That's that's what we are uh, about to start utilizing here in the uh, next couple of months. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, I, f- I forgot where else I was going to go with some of this stuff, but um, jump back into where uh, where you want me to go real quick. I think, Coach. yeah, just, you know, I was talking like what kind of screening processes. Oh, yeah, I, I know um, where I was going to go. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, no worries. <laughs> to, to be honest, as far as training the shoulder, most of the injuries that you see are fairly preventable when it comes to the shoulder. The elbow, I would say less so, but the shoulder with the labrum. It's really a preventable injury. We train the shoulder just like we train any other any other joint, any other any other like principle to the body. We have our high days, our low days. Our high days, we're going to attack the uh, especially external rotation, right? Um, the the uh, external rotators, we're going to attack those with heavier loads, with um, shorter tempos. We might use overload eccentrics. Um, on the low days, we're going to attack those with. Long duration isometrics, 30 to 60 seconds, submaximal, submaximal intensities. And we're really going to train the shoulder just like we would any other joint. The thing that, um, that I utilize a ton of now is we train it in all planes. So if I'm doing any type of horizontal row, uh, I call it the reverse pull-up. Um, we're going to, we're going to challenge the serratus at the same time. So I superset and build in a serratus exercise. So it might be our you know, kettlebell waiter walks. It might be an overhead press. It might be a landmine press, something like that. You know, 10 or 15 years ago, I used to shy away from overhead pressing, but now we've actually found that for some populations, it's really, really, really good, really necessary. Um, I used uh, a a research-grade EMG machine with our interns. This was probably about eight or nine years ago. And we looked at every exercise we had in our menu for low trap and serratus activation. And... Of course, I mean, we, we all probably know this, but the more the uh, humerus gets above um, the uh, shoulder in a press action, the more active the serratus becomes. And so your push-up plus exercise where you're just doing a scat push-up, th- things like that that we used to use only for the serratus because we said, nah, we can't overhead press. Those are actually a big, big piece of our program now. So yes, I overhead press a lot of our athletes. Now we can screen out some of the athletes that have limitations in flexion overhead where the acromia might be causing them to uh, to not be able to get that range of motion. In those instances, we're going to use something like a landmine press that takes a little bit of the uh, flexion out, a little bit of the elevation mm-hmm. as far as how far you can go up with the arm. So the one big thing that we've changed in the last decade has been the addition of a lot more serratus, uh, serratus pressing work. Yeah, I want to add something because you hit on some two man hit on some good points there. Thank you. I think two two pieces of this for me that's kind of influenced my thinking on has been Dan Path, who coached here for years, uh, sprint coach. But Dan would always talk to me. He would work with jab throwers and shot putters, and and would always talk to me about um, overhead strength. And just like any other exercise or part of the body, like if you don't have anything overhead like weighted up there. Like it's not going to improve. Your shoulders don't get get stronger. Second piece I got on that was to your point about the serratus. 
and getting overhead, uh, ART, active release therapy, Dr. Keith Pine, he used to come here years ago all the time, and I would just pick his brain. And he would talk to me about anterior shoulder health. And that the only, really the only way you can strengthen or stabilize that front head is by getting that mid-trap activated. And you only do that by having something overhead, typically like a dumbbell snatch or some kind of overhead press. And said, if you don't do that, you really can't strengthen that that area. So it puts the shoulder at a deficit. So to your point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the big three that we focus on in our programming are going to be low trap, low trap, mid trap. And then serratus as well as the uh, the cuff, right? So those are going to be in our program every single day in some aspect. And a lot of times you're hitting both of them. You're hitting several muscles with one exercise, I should say. So I don't have to have an exercise for each one of those necessarily. Yeah. But we look at it two ways. Every day, for the most part, has a static exercise. And when I say static, I, I'm calling static just your regular external rotation, a Y or a kettlebell waiter walk, um, anything that doesn't have the addition of dynamic stability. And then we have our dynamic stability exercise, which is some perturbation type where you have to actively stabilize the head of the humerus in the joint. So we're doing some form. Um, we're doing both of those forms every day that we train on a high day, especially low days. I, I take out the dynamic stability work and those are going to be more of our submaximal you know, long duration ISOs, higher rep type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how we look at it, static and dynamic. We want to challenge both of them because just doing ER or Ys or whatever serratus activation you have isn't necessarily enough. The, the, we, want to, we want to challenge the head of the uh, humerus to stabilize in that cuff. And you only get that by dynamic uh, stability, in my opinion. One more question here. This is, this is a great topic. I'll, I'll touch hallowed ground here a little bit. Bench press. Give us your thoughts. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've actually been known for a long time as the the guy that doesn't bench press b- baseball players, but you'd be surprised that uh, virtually all of our baseball players bench press. We okay. use football bars, so neutral grip. I like that. But I, like that. I start everybody out in our foundation program learning the push-up because there's too many good things about the push-up when it comes to the serratus, you know, trunk Scat. activation. Yeah. Torso stability, all these things. And so we start everybody in the push-up, and then based on where they go in our program as far as novice, intermediate, advanced, then they will advance into the bench press. And there's been studies that have shown the bench press. I shouldn't be telling you guys this, you know, but <laughs> you, you, you guys are going to take a step up in, uh, in your throwing athletes. <laughs> there's been studies that have shown that the bench press is very, very strongly correlated to throwing velocity. And so oh, interesting. Um, we've looked at a lot of that stuff. And um, so, yeah, our, our athletes, they, they, they will bench, yes. I think bench too, right? Uh, thank you for sharing. I think bench too is all about, I think you know the frequency, but also push pull ratios, right? Exactly. Like it's not it's not necessarily a bad exercise. I know I I kind of hate on it sometimes because I think it's been kind of over prescribed, so yeah. to speak. But I think you gotta you gotta have some balance in there on like your prescription. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, it's it's just another tool in the in the toolbox. Right. That's all it is, right? And um, you're absolutely right. You have to have balance. So we're we're going to pull more than we than we, Press, we push yeah. on that side. We do it one time a week, but I still do believe that there is yeah. you know there's some yeah. there's some stuff to it. But I still have guys that do loaded pushups. We use the pit shark all the time to load the pushup, so that we uh, aren't just doing a body weight pushup for the four years that they're at, at at TCU in our program. So there's a lot of different there's a lot of different ways. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Yeah, I had a quick question about the acromion joint. Uh, just you know what you guys do for like you mentioned if they have some pain there you, you kind of restrict them like what do you, what do you all do for the when they got pain so if you want the truth um 
subacromial impingement is usually the issue there. And you can screen this out and see if they, you know, if they have lack of overhead mobility. I mean, there's so many, there's so many rabbit holes to go down when you start screening something like that. Thoracic spine mobility comes into play when it, when it goes, when you start talking about overhead flexion right. and how much you have. But what I have found with anybody that gets subacromial impingement, generally, we drop pressing exercises. This is just a kind of a simple heuristic. We drop pressing exercises and we will pull them any type of a low row or anything like that. Um, I'm not talking pull-ups now because obviously that's putting you back in that overhead, overhead. flex position. Yeah. And we, we row them for the next two weeks straight, work on cuff and, and low rows. And usually, if you want the truth, a subacromial impingement will clear up pretty fast. That's going to, to Joe, real quick, that's going to take the head of that humerus and shift it back. Because that's what happens with impingement. That head gets kicked forward and it's catching. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, you can have several things. I mean, the deltoid could be overpowering the rotator cuff, right? And when the deltoid overpowers it, I mean, we, we know everything in the body is, is equal and opposite. So when that deltoid is, is yanking up too much, you're doing too much delt work, um, the, the cuff can't stabilize the head. And so, yeah, you, it can ride up into the acromion a little bit. But again, some of it can be anatomical. A lot of the problems that we find in our athletes are more anatomical based than they are soft tissue based. So that's something to be aware of too. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, I've, I've read some interesting stuff. There's actually a little book on it. I, I wish I had the title with me, but the, the acromion sometimes, that, that little bone there, I've read that sometimes it gets bent a tiny bit and so that's what also creates the impingement so yeah their their uh prescription for that would honestly be hanging yeah you can kind of almost bend that bone back whereas a lot of guys get that bone shaved off in surgery so Ooh, their their yeah. their thought was and what what they've done is they've, they've done research where they've put um they've put athletes inside of an mri machine and basically tied their hand up to a rope pulled their arm back so they can simulate overhead and there's like a weight and a pulley going outside the back of the mri machine pulling that arm in overhead position and they've done the mri to show that like if they can prolong it it can start to move that really back i've yeah. never heard of that i was going to so, question that all day long but um but yeah you're right they do so the acromion process there's one two and three right one is basically a, a normal acromion process type three is kind of a beaked where the bone is is curved over and and more downward mm -hmm. where the head of the humerus the basically runs into it when you get overhead. And so that's why an athlete like that, you have to give them a lot of T-spine extension so that they can so that they can clear that and get posterior tilt through the scapula right. so that they get overhead motion. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's obviously also situational based. You yeah. know what I mean, you know, but it's it's interesting that you're saying too that you just use exercise to kind of clear it up when it's it's almost the you know, I think we're talking about almost the same thing, but it, it's it's crazy how a lot of people just rush to rush to surgery to try to fix a lot of stuff. And it's like Yeah. No, if you just change your tactics a little bit, you could probably clear it up, you know, yeah. in a much more healthier way. Yeah, pressing is usually that that problem that we see. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. What about um, a little shift here on the the topic? But just to talk a little bit about baseball, super long season. They have summer ball, like right on the tail end of the season, collegiately. Kind of, what's your opinion? Uh, the culture of like college baseball. Just compete, compete, compete. And we see this in other sports as well, but would love to hear your thoughts on that a little bit. Yeah, it's very difficult because obviously our job, it it makes it difficult because of our job. Because we want to at some point have a long development window so that we can train and, and get some of these, get rid of some of these overuse injuries that you see continually. Um, but at the at the same time, you've got young athletes that might not have played during the in-season um, 
on the team. They might not have been in-game. They were practicing all the time, but they have to go somewhere and play in the summer to get better. And so ultimately, skill development is what's going to be the limiting factor for anybody to play. And so I do understand it now. 10 or 15 years ago, I hated it. I absolutely hated it and was against it 100%. But now I've realized this is just... This is a necessary evil. It's the system. It is. And we're, we're going to have to deal with it. I'm not going to change it. And so what do I have to do? I have to adapt our programming to, to fit the, uh, the uh, amount of skill development that they're doing year round, essentially. So we use a vertical integration model, but we, a lot of time in the fall, we're running an in-season program. My in-season and off-season programs are very, very, very similar. You know, I, I don't yeah. have this perfect periodization scheme format that you would read in a book and say, oh, I know what's going on here during this block and this block and this block. It's, it's, if you want the truth, most of my program is auto-regulated based on how the player feels for the I day. Know, right. Because they're competing all the time. And so that's just what it is. Our higher level athletes that play a bunch in season will stay on campus in the summer, which is awesome. And we get a little bit longer window to work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a necessary evil. And I, I've figured out that I just have to roll with it now. Yeah, to your point. I mean, I remember interning with baseball a few years ago, and I mean that fall ball. I mean, it's it's literally just about 30, 30 days of just straight up in season. Like yeah, it's forty. It's forty five days actually. Forty five. Yeah. Seven or eight weeks. Seven weeks. Forty five days. I think you can have thirty practices over that time. Yep. But when you start counting the skill hours for individuals, that's on the front and the back end. So they are they're they're playing baseball the entire semester there's never a no and interns that's something we have to preach to interns to now is they come in from school and they've seen this linear periodization scheme where you do you know um work capacity or whatever it is that starts out accumulation or whatever they've learned and then you do this phase and this phase and this phase and you're like it it doesn't work like that we're in season essentially year-round so you have to you have to adjust your thought process super yeah it's really super good that's good stuff yeah. And, you know, with, with a lot of the, um, you know, baseball just moving, you know, year round now and everything, I mean, UCL injuries are still a common thing in baseball. And I, it's, it seems like there's almost been like a, like a surgeon in them again. I don't know if it's maybe like related to pandemic or anything, but you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, what technology used to maybe track athletes readiness to try to prevent a lot of UCL stuff? Well, we've again. I've gone down every rabbit hole to uh, to to protect the arm. We've used the motor sleeve at times, um, and then they started having bad problems with their chips and things like that. So we went away from that. But we did learn some very valuable things. Um, the biggest thing that I think people don't understand with UCL injuries is it's it's your workloads. It's the ramp up period to throwing programs, and this is where high school athletes get in so much trouble. Is they play all summer stop in july or august parents want to shut them down oh we got to give the arm some rest so they rest and you have your biggest showcases usually in october that's when perfect game is and all these baseball you know showcase things are where they have a gun out and they want to see how hard you can throw and so what happens is these athletes shut down for eight weeks and then try to ramp up to throw their hardest in a two-week window which is it's just absolutely not safe whatsoever. And so that's why you see so many mid-fall UCL injuries in high school baseball athletes. And it's the same thing in spring training. It's the same thing in the NFL with hamstring injuries, with uh, with ACL injuries. They have not prepared for the demands of the sport before they go into their sport. And so 
you you have to hit volumes and intensities that you're going to utilize when you first step into whatever preseason it is. It doesn't matter if you're a soccer athlete, a tennis athlete, base. It doesn't matter. You have to prepare for the demands of the sport, and that is the biggest. That's the biggest issue that we see with the UCL injury, um, and it's multi. It's 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 multifaceted. There's the workloads, intensities, and volumes, and then you get into the biomechanics. That's a whole nother talk. You get into, uh, you can talk about the physical side of things, you know, a guy that's, that's fatigued or whatever, but the weight room is so minimal in the grand scheme of a UCL injuries because the speeds, the forces, the velocities that happen when you're throwing a baseball are so, it's not even comparable to anything you do in the weight room. Mm -hmm. And so the biomechanics of things, the workloads, all those things are bigger factors than what happens in skill development. They're bigger factors than what actually happens in the weight room. So, Coach, just doing this long enough, i got to ask, surely you've dealt with, like, coaches blaming, oh, it's the weight room. Oh, yeah. Coach, how have you navigated some of those fun conversations? (laughs) Um, Well, to be honest, I used to be one of the, when I was a young strength coach, my first couple years at TCU, I brought in, you know, we started screening guys. They had never been screened. And we didn't have any injuries. I swear, for the first two years I was at TCU, we were the healthiest team in the... And so I thought, oh, man. the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? I was like, oh, I'm a genius. I know everything. <laughs> this is so easy. I got this. And then the next five years or whatever, we were more injured than anything you've ever seen in your life. And so my program changed, and I got off track and and turned into a physical therapist and went down different rabbit holes because I thought it was my fault. Because I... Was I wasn't knowledgeable enough at the time to know that, you know what, what they do on the field is way more, you know, extensive and, and has way more volume and forces and higher speeds and all these things than what we do in the weight room. So I always thought, well, it's my fault and there's a muscle that's not activating or I didn't do something in my program or I had something that I, you know, I should have taken this out of the program. That's my fault. And so I went down all these rabbit holes. And then I realized that it's not the weight room's fault at all. And so it was it was a long battle with our uh, coaching staff. And you want, if you want the truth, it was really educating our coaching staff as much as possible about... So critical. It's so critical. Right. We, we brought in the modus sleeve. And so then I could educate him about workloads. And look, this guy had this monster workload. And then we actually saw an injury out of him. He, he went way over his, you know, if you believe in the uh, AC uh, ratio or not, whether, regardless... His workload was way too high for this window of time. And just after that, he had an injury. And so things like that could kind of prove some of my points, right? But it was communication. And a lot of times we have our orthopedic surgeon, we have our PTs, we'll sit in a room and we had meetings. We would go over the programs. We would go over exactly what I was doing, um, exactly what we're doing with our skill uh, side of things and say, okay, let's look at this, let's look at this and just meet as a staff and everything was out on the table. And so the orthopedic surgeons could say, well, it's 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 not the weight room stuff that's hurting these guys, you know, our volumes are way too big here or, or whatever the case is. So mm-hmm. all minds in the room and we would just communicate. That's good. That's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. I, I think to your point too, and you, and you correct me here if I'm wrong, but I think guys going from college to pro, a lot of them stem from uh, rotations being a lot different, going from like a seven-day rotation to a five-day rotation. Yeah. Would you, would you say exactly. that's... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, that that's part of it too. Your workloads jump up. But here's... I mean, I've got 30-some athletes, 30-some pro guys in the off-season. I don't necessarily anymore because of COVID. But before COVID hit, I would have 30 to 35 pro athletes that would train at TCU. And so I, I handled throwing programs, everything. And what you see across the board with pro athletes is it's all on themselves. It's all on themselves. 
So if they don't handle their volumes and intensities in their throwing program, I can't make you throw 100% in a bullpen. And oftentimes what we would see is guys would throw somewhere in the 80, 85 to 88% range in a bullpen all the way up until they left for camp. And then the first day of camp, they might have a sim game or something like that where they've got to show show uh, GMs that they're ready to go and that they want to be on the team this year or whatever the case is. And so guess what happens? Your 85 to 88 goes to 100% and you end up getting hurt. We would, none of us in this room, I shouldn't say none of us, all of us in this room would say the same thing would happen if you took an athlete and sprinted them at 85% for the off season. And then they took off and ran 100% in their sport for the next seven days and got hurt. All of us would say, well, yeah, no kidding. Coach, of that course. happened. I saw it happen all the time with football here early on when we'd run hundreds or one tens all summer. Yeah, sub maximal. Then, then the first week of we back then was two days. You're running all out, probably more than 100 percent sprints because you're you're you know the receivers locked down on a DB and you got that physical intensity. And next thing you know, like about around third fourth day, somebody start they start pulling up, coach, yeah. and then the head coach is so mad. So saw it all the time. It's yeah. crazy. You have to be prepared for the demands of the sport, regardless of what sport you play. That's just that's that's the foundational principle for us. Yeah, there's an article. I, I can't remember the, the the title. It goes something like this: like sprinting is the vaccine for hamstring injuries. One hundred percent. I think I think that's the title. But um, yeah, it's essentially exactly what you're saying. And Mike Mike Boyle uh, brought it up in his CSCCA conference speech. I think it was. Uh, three years ago, two, three years ago, um, he, he brought that article. And ever since, I was like, wow, you know, that's true. And he does a lot of flying tens and stuff like that in oh, his yeah. gym. And you yeah. know, just to keep him from getting hurt, really. The pr- the principles that we have behind speed development, since we're talking about it, I'll touch on it. It's fast, fresh, and frequent. We want to run as fast as possible. We want to be as fresh as possible when we when we do those fly tens or whatever, whatever max V work that we're doing. And we want to have them frequent. If you don't do it every seven days, you're losing the training effect. Vladimir Isherin, you know, talks about that in block periodization with residual training effects. And the residual training effect of max velocity work is usually between two and eight days. So we say seven days. You need, an, you need exposure to that every seven days. And that's the same way that I would approach a throwing program. You need exposure to high intensity, um, high intent, uh, max velocity throwing every seven days. Right. It's good stuff. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, spot and, on. And I think we're kind of getting on the topic here of you know a lot, a lot of different things coming from different realms, and you know how we collectively, uh, you know, get better. And, and right now, you have a summit, you know, where you communicate with a lot of your peers. You know, can you can you tell us more about the summit? You know, and one, will you have more? Will they ever be live? But you know, what, what's your goal at that? Because it sounds like you got a lot of great minds coming together to to achieve. Yeah. So the baseball goal. performance summit was uh, essentially it's a it's it's an online you know Zoom format of the fifteen really if you want the truth it was the fifteen brightest baseball strength coaches minds whatever you want to say in the game that I wanted to learn from ten years ago I had this vision of having a baseball specific conference basketball does one I think in May in, in Vegas and maybe it's moved around now but. Everybody I always talked to that went to this bas- basketball-specific strength conference was like, man, it's it's the best conference I go to. And so I had the vision 10 years ago or so to have this for baseball. And with COVID hitting and, you know, the advent of Zoom, it just it made sense to have this on Zoom now. And so to answer your question, no, I probably won't ever have it live because I think, I think it's – to me, it's so much more useful with – 
having it at your fingertips whenever you want it to, to learn whenever you want, because you and I both have small kids. I don't want to go to conferences right now and miss four days with my mm-hmm. kid. I would rather watch, you know, an hour and a half zoom at nine o'clock at night when he's in bed and I can do it at my own pace. So no, it'll probably never be live. Yes. It'll, there'll, there'll be more. We have the two, 2000, uh, the, the 22 lineup already, already, uh, uh, figured out, but it was really just, I, I wanted something for all levels, high school, college, professional. I wanted people from all levels to be able to, to talk about their program and mm. what drives the principles that drive their program. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's awesome. We have, we have our clinic too, and that's it's one of my favorite times of the year. You know, it's 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 convenient because it's here. So, like like to your point, I don't have to travel. I can just get up in the morning and, and come to work. But uh, but yeah, I, I think like some of these smaller conferences now, you know, where you where you get you can almost like, I guess we're handpicking people who we want to you know hear from and stuff. But I mean, it, it just it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, you know, and it's it's kind of nice to just have these small in in you know in person conference. Well, not in person, but um. What's the world well, I mean, for? honestly, what you want, but what's your conference? You communicate, you know. You love it because it's people you want to learn from, right? That's exactly. what you do. You bring people in that you want to learn from. Right. And it's nothing against having an in-person conference, but for us to have 15 speakers that, you know, an hour presentation each, that's going to be a multi-day conference. And so it's difficult with baseball coaches because we have so such hard. long seasons yeah. that at the end of that long season, the last thing I want to do is travel and be on the road and go talk more baseball. And so I, I didn't think it was feasible to have them not, in person. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, you're right. I've done the clinic long enough, especially if you start the higher the level of the presenter, it's really hard to get them to align for like a one weekend yeah. deal. Right. So to your point, I mean, that's so much more doable to have them like, Work around the schedule, package the content, and then roll it out so you can learn. Uh, the our you know our clinic to you know it's more about the networking and learning from people and right. like just you even being here today like man this is so cool just to see you in person. So you got to work around people's schedules though to your point you know so yeah pretty awesome yeah and it's not that I don't have anything against like the national conferences or anything right. those are those are great too but it's it's almost a little overwhelming you know like you said it's like multi day. There's there's usually three presentations at once. So yeah. You got to pick one. Yeah, and uh, and there's just a lot going on. So it's just it's nice to have like these just smaller summits or conferences or clinics that you can, yeah. like you said, coach. You can interact, and then like you were saying, you can you can access it whenever you want to to manage your time better. So and, and the thing that I found is that we're so much so so many of us are on social media now that you have connections with people that you never would have 10 years ago you never would have had a, a, a yeah, contact with. so true and so you can make that connection very easily now and and so that's one thing that people say is well i love going to conferences to make connections and and i do too but at the same time you're basically a button away from talking to somebody on twitter or instagram and most of us in strength and conditioning will respond you know i, I don't think there's that many coaches out there that yeah. are that are like no i'm not talking to people everybody yeah. wants to give out their information the pandemic totally change that for everybody like you can i mean you you may not be able to sit down with somebody in person but you can zoom now i mean you can get on a zoom and zoom and i mean we did it with a couple different staffs across the country over the pandemic and i mean i've got a better relationship with them because of that and there's been some you know over social media i've connected with so yeah you can have these professional network on different levels that you can keep growing and and keep learning from people that you may never meet in person so yeah it's it's a great time to be be in this profession for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, piggyback that, I got a, this is a fun, this one I've been waiting on. You got a couple books out now. 
And, you know, I've been working on the book during the pandemic as well. And so I, for me personally, just want to hear your, like, what was that process like? Uh, was it hard, difficult? Is there any new ones coming out? You got something new coming out? Like, give us a little bit of a sure behind so, the scenes on that. So how the book came about was just over my, at the time, it was probably 10 or 11 years at TCU, and the number of emails I got on how to train a young athlete, how to send me a workout for my high school baseball kid, send me a workout for my high school baseball team. And I kept telling them, like, I, I can't do that, you, you know. My, it would be like reading Chinese. It would be like reading Chinese for you. You'd have no clue what's going on if I send you my workout and you try to implement it without context in your situation. So it really came about as that. Every team that I've ever had since I was a GA, I, I ran this foundation program. And all it was was teaching the fundamental movements, squat, hinge, um, upper body push-pull, the scapular patterns of the upper body, and sprint mechanics, jump mechanics, those things. It was just the fundamental principles that I needed you to learn so that you could eventually train in our weight room and develop over four years. If you don't know those, if you don't know how to hinge correctly, you're not going to be able to advance into a higher level program at, at any point. And so I had that all created. All I did was sit down and write it out. And that was the hard that was the hard thing. So it took me probably about 14 months, I think, to write the entire book. Well, here's the caveat. It took me three months, really, to write the book and the first 11 months staring at a Word document because I stared at it not knowing how or or what to write because I didn't want to give away all the secrets. I didn't want to tell people everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to give yeah. them enough, like here's my program-ish, but I didn't want to give, give away all the secrets. And the day that I said, you know what, screw this, we are going to, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write from day one exactly how I handle the foundation program. I'm going to write exactly what I do. Um, I heard it was uh, the famous coach from uh, LSU one time. Skip Bertman, I think he was a you know national championship baseball coach, and back in the eighties and nineties, he was using psychological training with his athletes, mental training, and he sold uh, whatever it was at the time, a tape or something with all of his methods on it. And the reporters and people started coming to him and saying, "You're giving away all your stuff. All these teams are going to take it and start beating you with it." And he said, "No, they're not. I am the only one that implements it the way so that true. I implement it." So true. And when I heard that, it was just a light bulb that said. Nobody's ever going to run this the way I run it. They're going to use their own spin. They're going to find something unique about it and and change the way it happens. And so from that day forward, I sat down, wrote my entire program, and it was it was done in it was done in probably a couple of weeks, not necessarily three months, but some of the corrections and things and and editing uh, took a took some time. But that was the light bulb that changed everything mm-hmm. going forward. I said, you know what? I'll just give everything away, and they'll do with it what they want. Yeah, Coach, I, that's something. Just even talking to you today, I mean, I kind of like stumbled on you a while ago and just like, who is who is Coach Zach? Kind of on social media, I was like, I kind of like this guy. I don't, I've never met him. And now I sit there and talk <laughs> to him. And, and like, there's part of me like I'm listening to you and like you have a heart to give back. And I think that's so important. Um, that's why I loved like Dan Path when, I, when he was here at Texas years ago. He was he would say the same thing about track coach like why why would I hide anything like I'll share everything I know with you if you want to if you got the time to sit down and learn he goes to your point you're not going to apply it like I would so you that it took me years to learn how to apply what I know 
So I can share it with you, but you still got to learn the secret sauce of how you apply it to each individual situation and athletes. So, yeah. And, so we're, and we're continually learning. Right. That was the other thing somebody told me. They're like, you know, you're, you're going to learn new methods in the next six months that you're going to change from what you did in that book or change the way you think. And so you're continually, we're all continually learning new things. Mm-hmm. So it's, who cares if you give some of it away? You're, you're still going to learn. You're still going to change and adapt and build new systems. And, and so, yeah, take it all. Yeah. I always think it's funny. And, you know, if you look at social media, someone's applying like they're, they'll say, oh, applying the triphasic model or something like that. It's like, it's a very unique model. It's like, do you really think that's how Cal Eats does it? You know, he, he can only put so much of it in a book, you know, and it's, so I, I, you know, that's something I learned is just as an intern, you know, hey, like stuff that's published isn't exactly what they're doing. They're probably giving you the big, the big, you know, broad strokes of it, but sure. you got to, you got to take like your piece of it and then implement it and to make it, you know, your own. And I mean, I've only been doing this for a few years, so I'm, I'm still, you know, really working on it, you know, compared to you guys. But, but I mean, if that's, if that's something anyone could take away is just, hey, you know, Zach stuff or Cal stuff or Donnie stuff. Um, you, you can only take away so much of it. You just take like your, your piece and apply it to how you can. And, yeah, exactly. You know, don't don't try to just take everything, even though it's a good model. You know, but uh, I think too, just one more thing on the book, and then we'll we'll get here. We're almost done with the with the. We're getting here near the end. What I hear too about the book is like, and because I've been working on one, I like what you said about you kept getting all these emails. So at the end of the day, right, it's about solving a problem. Yeah. Right, and so once you start hearing enough people asking questions, and this kind of continuing theme comes up, like wait, there's a problem that can be solved, and that's really how you you kind of start with that, and you start to kind of work backwards, and then formulate this plan, like you said, and you start to whether well, it's a book or, or maybe it's a, a curriculum, or a, a, I know a lot of online classes are big, the summit like you got, but I think again, I think that's a big piece of just giving back and solving problems today. It's just helping people. And so I like that. Um, any other new books coming out? Um, eventually there will be, it's, th- this won't be the title, but it'll be Movement Over Maxis too, because I, I get hounded about that all the time. And essentially what that will be, I haven't written it, but it's just a part of the system that I utilize, right? It's, it's, um, it's lateralization, I guess, is the best term for it. How do you lateralize in a team sport? So you've got somebody, your intermediate athlete that does a front squat. He might be focused on strength in the front squat. How do you lateralize that to a um, a novice athlete who might not need strength? He might need the most minimal program ever. You lateralize it through maybe a regression as a goblet squat and a one by 20 program or something like that. You lateralize it to the advanced guys by using, um, you know, maybe some of your triphasic means or something with a super maximal eccentric or something like that. So it, it, it will talk about lateralization and using that in the team setting because most of us have to train in large team settings, right? We don't get to individualize one-on-one, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So it, it'll be about lateralizing your programs and how to build levels within, uh, within, your, within your team. And that's relevant to your point earlier. You know, there's a lot of sports voting on this stuff at NCAA of just getting more time for, for practice. So you're going to have to have yeah. some solutions because like you said, the system is not changing you're going to change and adapt or you'll be gone. So that's going to be a great, great book when you finish it, Coach. Yeah. Well, Good stuff. We'll see. 
<laughs> well, Zach, you, you know, you have a lot of your own resources that you've created, which is awesome. But what, what resources maybe from the outside would you recommend to your peers or up and coming professionals? So I think the best thing for young strength coaches, and I recommend this to our interns all the time, is a strength coach network. You know, uh, Keir Wynnum Flat, uh, the rugby strength coach, uh, however many names he has. He's got the uh, that strength coach network. I think is is as good a resource as you will find. It's it's got webinars every month with great great coaches that focus on a different topic. There's there's forums and boards in there that you can go post messages on. They talk about uh, professional development as far as a resume and and your cover letter and things like that. And I I think that's the best thing out there. Awesome, good stuff. Awesome. Well, we're almost done here. Um... So if the listeners are, are out there today, they want to reach out to you, follow you more, give us some of your social media handles. Yeah. I know maybe talk a minute about your website, what you got there. Sure. Give us some kind of ways for people to connect yeah, with you. Yeah, I mean, they can always reach out on social media. It's Zach Dakin. Well, I should say just Zach Dakin on everything social media-wise. Uh, website is ZachDakin.com, and you can find... You know, I've got free stuff on there. We just released a crawling ebook that's free Saw to the that. public. Yeah, so awesome. Yeah, we've got another high-low manual that's coming out in the next month um, that myself and an intern wrote that'll be free to the public. It talks about our philosophy with just a weekly setup. Um, but, you know, on there you can find Movement Over Maxes. That details exactly like we've talked about, exactly what I do with our incoming freshmen and JUCO transfers from day one. Uh, I've got our 3D movement prep on there, the baseball performance summit. Uh, there, there's probably some other stuff. I've got a speed a speed course on there as well. Um, but yeah, we write we write blogs. Um, my interns and I will post blogs on there all the time. All these podcasts that that I've done, yours will be on there as well. So that's all at zachdakin.com. Yeah, they can reach out to me anywhere, and they, they, they'll find me, and and I'll uh, I'll talk to anybody. This is a kind of little little selfish question before we end here. Like, what's one of the best books you read recently? Not oh. necessarily. It don't have to be strength and conditioning. I'm. What do you think? Anything? Oh, co- what comes to the top? Yeah. It could be two or three, but like. Um. Let me think here. I can't even remember. I I cannot remember the name of it. It's called. Uh, I think it's called Fill My Bucket, maybe or. How full is your bucket? How full is your bucket? I've yeah. seen that. Just a quick little. It's a quick. I, I'm reading book. it. I've got it, Joe. You I'm can read it. that in like a couple of days. A couple of days. I shouldn't even say that. You can read that in a couple of hours. And it's really about giving back and and it's giving back to other people. And as a director, this is great in our situation because it's about valuing your employees and making them feel good on a daily basis, essentially. Because how do they work hard? They work hard for for people that value them. And, and I can't think of the exact terminology that he uses in that in that book, but it's, it's fill their bucket, make them feel good. Tell them they're doing a good job because oh, at the end so of the good. day, that's really Man, what matters. It's the topic on that, John. you know, everybody wants raises and this and that, but they want to feel valued. That's really what it is. And so that's what that book talks about. That's, that's one of the uh, more recent ones that I've read. If you want the truth, I haven't read a ton of books recently oh, it's fine, yeah. because, and this is, again, goes back to, I'm working a lot on my system. And so when I'm yeah. working on Busy. when I'm working on my system, I don't I don't read books because in order to produce content and you know w- whether it's writing a book or whether it's writing better programs for my athletes or finding a better system to uh, to screen them with, I I kind of shut out the rest of it and try to eliminate yeah. like taking it in. That's a great that's great wisdom though, honestly, coach. You gotta 
Some things got to go on the back burner yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna do good work with something else. Yeah. So that's good wisdom. So yeah, if you're producing content, you can't consume content. Yeah. Mm. It gets in the way. Well, even when you produce, I mean, you're always you know anytime like I write something or whatever, you're always referencing something. So I mean, there there is reading going on. It's just not like a sit down like you know we all picture it. Like okay, yeah. I'm gonna read book cover to cover. Like you're still taking in a lot when you're when you're trying to produce something. Yeah. Um, but coach, I got I got to throw this in there really quick. What what we got? What we got? Zach. Uh, so you might not remember this. It was 2017. I was still in the Marine Corps, and I had no idea. Was I was talking to uh, Coach Mel about uh, you know resources and things like that, stuff to read. And uh, I called you. I was sitting in the parking lot of the, of the base because I think we scheduled a time to talk. And the only time, you know, like your car is like the only quiet place you can go. Like if you're a platoon commander, I mean, you have Marines constantly on your on your butt. But um, so we were, we were talking and you asked me like if I was reading anything, you know, just give me advice for finding an internship. And I was like, yeah, I, I just bought the book uh, Super Training and I, I hadn't seen the book yet. I just ordered it. And you're like, ooh, that's a pretty big book. <laughs> and so you're like, maybe maybe try something a little bit shorter. And then uh, Coach Mel sent me uh, some some shorter books to, to check out. But that was, that was uh, one of the first conversations I had with a strength coach back in 2017. Yeah. You gave me that advice, so well, hopefully it pretty, was. Uh, hopefully it was a good conversation. No, it was good. Yeah, I learned a lot. And uh, did you yeah. ever did you ever read Super Training? Uh, not cover to cover. Yeah. I've, I've referenced the, it. It's a dense read. Yeah, I've, but there are so yeah. many hidden gems in that book. It's honestly, to me, it's it's the Bible of training. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. A lot of it, you a lot of it, I don't know if you can use with most of our athletes, but. There's so many. See, every time I go back and read that, there's something mm. more. So it's yeah. It, yeah. I've definitely read large portions of it. Like if I ever needed like any anything specific, like we'll just say eccentrics. I mean, there's like just, just a ton of eccentrics. So I'll, I'll read everything eccentrics out of there. Yeah, everything in that book. It's, it's amazing for how old that book is, for mm -hmm. what they knew. It, it it was so ahead of its time. It just shows you there's nothing new in our field. You know, I, I know we're getting close to time, but FRC. We know yeah. what functional range conditioning is. They talk about that in in super training. He yeah. talks about that exact method in super training. It's crazy. There's yeah, nothing it's packaged new. it. Everything's yeah. like you said to your point earlier. There's nothing new. It's just all getting re repackaged. So, yeah. any closing thoughts as we wrap up, Joe? You got anything else? No, that was it. I just uh, I thought it was funny. It's, it's been like what five years, and I it's just kind of funny. Like yeah, some of the, some of the folks I was trying to call just to find a way to break into the field, and so. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you yeah. for doing that, Coach. By the way, so you yeah, never know. Yeah, you're gonna it, meet that, that guy. I know. I'm scared um, to find the person that I forgot to email back <laughs> right. or something you're like such that. A jerk. Like, you are such an, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, so hopefully that doesn't happen. No, I had a lot of conversations. Everyone's man, this this field's great in that aspect. Like, so many people want to help yeah. out. So it was, it was awesome. Well, Coach Zach, it has been an absolute honor and privilege to have you on. Thank you for your time. Uh, I know we got a big series with you. This weekend, take it easy on those horns. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I might say the opposite. Take right, it right. easy on the frogs. <laughs> I know, but uh, hey, I can't say uh, we we're not going to get into a pieing contest with CDC. We'll definitely uh, we'll we'll brag on you to him when we see him. So uh, that you're doing just an incredible job. But what a great coach, great even better man in my opinion. And congrats to your, you and your family. Yeah. So I appreciate you guys letting me uh, let me come on today, and yeah. it was a real joy. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Well, that's it from Austin, Texas. It's the team behind the team. Donnie May, Joe Krosick, Coach Zach Dakin. We are in the house and we are out of here. Catch you on the flip side. Hook them horns. Hook them. 
Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.